Hey everyone, welcome to Rocket, Accelerated Geek Conversation. I am Simone de Rochefort, video editor at Pixelkin.org, and I am joined by my favorite people in the world, Brianna Wu, head of development at Giant Space Cat, and Christina Warren, senior tech correspondent at Mashable. How much do we want to sleep tonight? <laughs> like, like 12 hours? Christina, like, like I have to give you props. I have to give you props. Because I knew why you were on the jet at, what was it? Like, you're like, sunrise flight out yeah. of New York. And you're like, look at how beautiful it is. And I'm like, Christina Warren was up at 4 a.m. to get to the airport. <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. Just yep. kill me now. Was Christina yeah. Warren drinking mimosas on the airplane? <laughs> no, no, sadly, because... <laughs> The first flight out. So I, I was in San Jose earlier this week. Um, I flew out on Sunday. I flew back on Monday night on a red eye. So I flew out at 6 a.m. from New York on Sunday, and I came back. I was home at um, 6 a.m. Uh, Tuesday morning. So it was oh. like a ridiculously oh like. Oh, I'm sorry. It was. It was. Uh, um, it was so fast. I saw you Instagramming from LAX, and I I don't know, either I saw it late or you posted it late, but I was like, oh my god, she's still in California? This is Ah. terrible. Um, No, I mean, because my flight, so what happened is I flew from 7 p.m., I had a 7 7 p.m. flight out that had to go from San Jose to LAX, and then I went from LAX um, to, uh, New York. So, um, I, I, maybe like social media was slow. I don't know. Cause a lot of people <gasps> thought I was in LA. They're like, Oh, or while you're in town, let's catch up. I'm like, no. I was there for 20 minutes. <laughs> right, I literally right. had the fastest connection ever. My flight arrived uh, at 9 PM. My connecting flight left at 9:45. Like, so was, while we're talking about California, yes. uh, what'd you do there, Christina? Right. So <laughs> weird, weird, funny story. Um, I interviewed Johnny Ive and Anna Wintour and Andrew Bolton, who's the director of the Met Costume Institute. Ah, yeah, no, I, I no interviewed big. Johnny Whatever. Ive and Anna Wintour. Yeah. Let me just say yeah. that again. I interviewed Johnny Ive and Anna Wintour. I'm gonna I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna go out to the tattoo parlor. I'm gonna yep. ask them. Just put yep. this put this on my my forearm. That's where I've decided yep. to put it. Christina my my interview Johnny Christina Ive. Warren. Yep. So um, I have to ask, amazing. is his voice as hypnotic yes. and seductive in person as it is in the Apple commercials? Oh, oh it like, so is. And you'll yeah. appreciate this. So right. the very first thing I did, I get into this room and it's all three of them, these three amazing people. And I'd already decided on what icebreaker I wanted to use. And the room, you know, there were some, there were some um, uh, flax in there too, you know, some people. And, and sure. it was, I only had a few minutes, but I was like, I'd already kind of prepared myself. I was like, I'm going to try this. And then I was so nervous. I almost didn't get the line out. So <gasps> I didn't even have my tape recorder out to, to get this part recorded. But I asked Johnny to say aluminum. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What did Johnny, he say? How do you react? He kind of smiled. and He said aluminum. Oh. And it was great because I said, I was like, Johnny, can you just do me a favor? I was like, can you just say aluminum for me? Can you please just say it? And I was like, oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and uh, and all of them in the room, they were all British. So some of the one of the one of the people in there was like, oh, you know, uh, they all could say it. And I'm like, yes, but I didn't want to be like. I, I, I didn't want to be like, well, Anna Wintour, I don't care how you say aluminum. Um, right. uh, because I do clearly care how she says aluminum. Like, I care very much. But I really just wanted to hear the Johnny Ivett classic aluminum. And it was it was glorious. Absolutely. So I have to ask, you know, obviously I am, you know, Anna Wintour is someone who has achieved a massive amount of success in her career. Just yes. any businesswoman is going to appreciate that. You know, is she kind of has a reputation for being 
you know, a little Anna, Anna Wintourish. What is she like in person? Is she, she was lovely. Is she warm? Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would say warm, yeah. but she was so nice. I mean, mm-hmm. and, and, and by warm, I don't mean cold. I, I, she yeah, wasn't cold, yeah. but she, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want, she's not one of those she people who bubbly. like. She was bubbly. That doesn't seem no, like her. No, right. she's very yeah. smart. Yeah. Very, yeah. very smart. Um, uh, she was very nice. She was very polite. Uh, she had a lot to say, uh, which was great. Um, she was very, very nice. I mean, honestly, and mm-hmm. I'd heard that. I'd heard from people, other people who'd mm-hmm. interviewed her. I actually asked a friend of mine who has um, met her um, a number of times um, for advice. I was like, how, "How? How?" She was like, "Don't ask dumb questions." Yeah, and she's yeah. like, and she was like, "And you won't." And she was like, "And she'll, you'll be great." And um, you know, she was on her game, and so uh, she was very, very, very nice. Um, Johnny was was shy. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, but but he was he was great. Um, the guy from the the Met Institute, who, who you know the the curator of the of the Costume Institute, uh, uh, was wonderful. So the story was basically this was announced last week that Apple is sponsoring this year's um, Met Gala and exhibition, and so uh, for for 2016. And uh, we talked about it on on uh, I, I don't think we actually t- we didn't talk about it on Rocket. We talked about it after the show. Um, so uh, basically. Um, the theme this year is Menace Ex Machina. So it's basically like the hand of the machine. Um, so it's kind of the intersection of fashion and technology. And so Apple's sponsoring it. Um, it there's going to be like uh, more than 100 couture um, and um, avant-garde pieces on display that kind of show um, it's an attempt to kind of show the difference in kind of historically there's this dichotomy between the the handmade, the haute couture um, and the um, the um machine made manufacturing machine made thing. things right. exactly yeah. and 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 but really there's been this intersection happening and and there's a lot happening you know that that can be high end couture that can also be made by by machine and that was one of the mm-hmm. things that that um Andrew Bolton said he said you know we looked at some of these pieces and things you would think were made uh, by hand were actually made by machine. Ooh. And so Apple, uh, the role, you know, kind of they're playing is, is there's going to be a technical aspect to how the exhibition is, you know, shown off. So there will be, you know, kind of, kind of an analog and digital component to showing off the pieces in the exhibition, uh, exhibition. So there's a, there's the gala, which precedes the exhibition. And then a couple of days later, there's an exhibition that runs um, for a couple of months, the gala, uh, Johnny, um, Anna, um, Taylor Swift and Idris Elba are all <laughs> so the So literally the of perfect the intersection, as we literally said, of our interests on this show. I was Absolutely. going to say, it, it, Johnny Ive, Taylor Swift, Idris Elba, and, and Anna Wintour. It, it is a rocket party, is what yeah, it is, no, is what we're saying. It, so so if anybody's listening, anyone... If I ever met Johnny Ive, I know exactly what I'd say, because he's a huge EDM fan. Right. Oh, is he? So yeah, that's right, he I is. Would, oh, you have the enter... perfect in. That's not even right, fair. Right, of course, because most people don't, like, Americans think they understand EDM, and they just but we don't, don't, generally. No, it, it, it's, and, it's not, yeah. So, you know, I would be able to go in there and say, like, you know, what do you think of, are you in the deep house right now, future house, or, you know, like, talk about, like, where you listen to from spinning records right now, and have an awesome conversation. So that's <laughs> that's how I would roll into that. But aluminum, that is... Ask him what Apple Music is, is recommending smart. to him. Oh, that's go. a really good one. Oh man, he's got to be pissed as pissed at Apple Music as I am. It's oh, yeah? terrible for EDM. Oh, don't even get me started. Uh, so. I'm having great luck with with my pop and my. I was gonna uh, say my pop my and my rock. indie. Yeah, my my pop, my alt rock, my indie, um, my hip hop are like game is on point. All right. Well, but yeah, but but no. Yeah. So so anyway, so I was I was talking about that and and it was it was just it was a really interesting conversation. Um, stories about Mashable. I'm really proud of it. Oh, um, it was it's a uh, good story. It yeah. was. I mean, you guys. I like. I bet Johnny Ive. I mean, 
Of course. I mean, I, there's okay. I can't say anything else. I'm just going to gush too much. I, I know how you feel about this, and this is amazing. We're very proud of you. Thank very you. Proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, you deserve to, to tell that story. Publish that story. It's so awesome to do. Like, what I love about this, Christine, is like you're doing such awesome stuff on your career. And like, and then it's like, I get to be here every week. And it's like, wow, like you're really kicking butt out there. I just I feel so honored to be here on this podcast yeah. with you. I'm very proud of you. So I'll stop <laughs> writing the show notes right now all while right, the show all is right. going. All like, right, no, all right. away. I had briefly on Anna Wintour, I just admire her so much. Yes. I got really deeply into Vogue when I was a teenager for some reason. I remember watching a documentary about the, the magazine. September issue. Yeah, yes, yes. I think that was it. It's on Netflix. It's fantastic. And everybody should watch it. It's it, If you only think Anna Wintour, The Devil Wears Prada, you'll watch this documentary and you'll go, oh, no. Okay, wow, actually. that's yeah. She's amazing. I'm sure, like, being as powerful a businesswoman as she is, I'm sure she gets a lot of stupid questions. And I'm sure she's tired of, of responding to them. So I would not blame her at all if, you know, she... <laughs> did not respond to them well and i'm glad i'm so glad that you got to meet her and ask her good questions yeah absolutely Heck yeah so Sh- can we get into it this yeah week? let's dive into the it? microsoft surface book review oh here we go yeah so um lance you know published your review on mashable <laughs> and i have to ask right off the bat were you there when he stood on the surface book yes oh How'd, wow tell me tell me about it was there trepidation well, was there real fear no, there wasn't. Awesome. Because you've um, actually it, touched it and handled it, and it, it feels sturdy, right? Yeah, it's, it's sturdy. I mean, and the thing is, that's just a, such a Lance move to do. You have to understand, you know those swagways, like the like the um, uh, segways that don't have um, arms, you know, just the little roller things people roll around on, mm-hmm. like yeah. the little scooters? So Lance, we've got, for whatever reason, we have a number of those, and we also have this other, like, unicycle, like, robotic, like, electronic thing, like, in the office, and Lance, like, rides around those all the time. Uh, so it's such a Lance thing to do, to be, like, just stand on the service book. Yeah, let's just should probably drive. Up the surface book like a ramp and do a that would sick actually flip. that that would be, yeah I don't I don't know if we'd be allowed to do that but yeah um, I need to talk to your HR department I was gonna say I think the HR people might be <laughs> <laughs> okay so the actual surface book itself did you uh, play with it at all yeah I've played with it I didn't spend a ton of time cool. with it um, to cool. be completely honest because uh, I've had other things kind of going on yeah, yeah. I had to review yeah. the, I, well I had to review the iMac I had to go out to California there was like a lot of stuff happening um, but and it's really nice what um, about you I, Brian? Oh, no sorry go on I was gonna say the one thing that it's gonna I think I think be kind of like the the love or hate aspect of this is the fact that there's a little space um, yeah. between the top and the bottom on the hinge it doesn't bother me. But I, I've already talked to a number of people who are like they're afraid of getting crap inside of it, and my my only I guess justification for not being bothered is that I get crap inside my laptop when it is completely closed. Well, so I've had I just, friends who have actually like accidentally closed things in their laptops and broken the screen before. So I'm not terribly concerned about having a space there. That seems like it would prevent something like that from happening. Um, and the fact that it is so firmly attached with the hinge and the button makes me more confident about it. I'm still. Uh, when I was reading the review, it seemed like he had a few problems with the graphics card crashing, and he, yeah. especially yeah, with the was, the one with yeah. the graphics card in the base as well. Yeah, which is not a trivial upgrade. I was no. very surprised to hear him say, um, you know, he couldn't really detect uh, you know, many many gains from that. So obviously, you know, the work I do, this is paramount on my mind, right? Like the advantage of buying a Microsoft 
laptop is, you know, it's frankly more powerful in the OpenGL implementation than, you know, a MacBook is going to be. So, like, what was his methodology for testing that? Was he doing benchmarks, which yeah, is it just kind of impressions? Like? It benchmarks, impressions, I think it was trying some games. Huh. Um, and so, you know, he was, uh, I think, comparing, because he uses a Surface Book Pro, um, uh, or not a Surface Book Pro, he uses a Surface Pro 3. Um, as his daily driver. So I think a mm-hmm. lot of that was kind of Ooh. comparing it to what he uses as his main thing. Yes, Lance Yulinoff, um, everyone, we should all give him props for this. He is the one person who will go to every Apple event with a, with a, not just a Windows laptop, but a Microsoft <laughs> service laptop. That is gutsy. That is awesome. Right? That is marching to your own drum. Honestly, <laughs> it like is. It. And, and, yeah. and I love him for it. You know, like there's Absolutely. plenty of us who go to, everybody goes to Microsoft events with the Apple laptops. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's a given. Um, at, at this point, he's like the only microsoft person there with like a windows laptop like honestly you know i watched I mean? his video review the look on his face when he unboxed it was exactly like you when you're unboxing yes. an apple thing and i was like oh that's oh, exactly that's it. cute that's cute no it lance <laughs> is the best lance is so good um no his unboxing was great um our, our review looks really good yeah you know it's interesting because i think there were some kind of some there was maybe i don't know if it's early release bugs or what but we ran mm-hmm. into this with the surface pro 4 as well where there were just some some crashes and some issues that seemed to be software based rather than hardware based and so i don't mm. know if it's the windows 10 implementation or what but i know that there were some things that are supposed to be fixed by the time it ships i don't know if if the pre-production stuff that they gave out for reviewers was just iffy i don't know but i mean mm-hmm. all in all i mean he was really positive yeah, um, he was definitely. Yeah, he it. was. It was the same. Yeah, Verge was complaining about the gap. They were a lot harder on it than and they I think mentioned he was. The screen yeah. wobbling as a problem yeah, as well. They did. They did. They did. Um, I don't know. I guess. Um, you know, it, I think my question for you, Christina, would be: you know, for years, my big question mark anytime I buy anything to do with Windows is support. Because right. let's be honest, if you buy. Uh, you know, a Microsoft product version one, you know, they always, computer companies always say like, we're going to update with drivers, we're going to yep. fix it, we're going to fix it. Now, now that Microsoft is firmly in charge of the hardware and the software, I guess my question is, you know, I don't own a Surface. Do they have a better track record of kind of following through and, you know, updating these kind of problems? Like, is there a reason for a consumer to have faith in that? For that, so for driver issues and compatibility things, yes, absolutely, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they obviously kind of control the stack and and they're going to push and make sure that those things are updated the soonest. And and I, I I know that even going as far as you know testing Windows 10 on different devices, even testing it on like um, the the Surface 2 or the Surface mm-hmm. Pro 2 or whatever was a lot better experience than using um, a, a different Windows laptop. So um, just because I, I I was test, beta testing Windows 10 on a, a number of different devices, a couple of Surfaces, a couple of other laptops, and it was remarkable how much better the experience was on the Surface. And I think that's partially because they are starting to, I don't think to a tremendous amount are they optimizing the software specifically for that hardware but they're taking it into account and i definitely think that i'm not sure like what um you know how closely aligned they are with the driver makers and how much you know they're writing drivers themselves if they have to or not or working with you know Mm -hmm. the their their component makers they they choose but it's um certainly seems to be better than if you were to buy you know a dell or, or or a lenovo or something although those typically they get to the point they're pretty good. It's just hard at the beginning um, if there's like a new hardware, you know, revision or, or new software stuff. So 
Um, I mean, they tend they tend to be better. When now, when it comes to warranty work or any of that stuff, I genuinely have no idea. I have no, yeah. I, have, I have no idea how that compares to others. Um, you know, uh, how Microsoft deals with issues like that. But when it comes to support, just from like a driver perspective, yeah, I mean, they're they tend to be better than others because you know, I mean, they kind of have a similar advantage that, that Apple has, and that they're sourcing the components themselves. They're you know, putting the software on it themselves. And since they write the software, they presumably could make sure that it's all going to work before, hmm. you know, it shipped off. Or at least, and I think that also with Surface, they kind of treat it like a, a flagship product, almost the same way Google treats Nexus, yeah. where they're using it to show off what everyone else can do. I think that would be the the analogy I would use rather than uh, kind of Apple's approach, because Apple is fully integrated, obviously. So I think mm-hmm. that's a different, I still think that's a different thing. Like they obviously source components from other people, but they integrate, like they, you know, have their own designs for, you know, the, um, the logic board, you know, they have their own, you know, they, they pick and choose how everything works. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. Whereas yeah. I think that kind of like, you know, Huawei um, and LG built the newest Nexus phones, but Google's going to make sure that that software runs and sings on those devices. They're going Absolutely. to say, this runs as best as we can, and Google's going to issue software updates to those devices first. And so I kind of feel like that's the way that Microsoft approaches the Surface line and now the Surface book line, which is to say, okay, you know, we are going to um, show all of our other partners, this is what you can a- aspire to be. This maybe. is the natural environment for Windows and, 10, and and. And because it's that showcase device, they're going to do everything they can to make it work yeah, as well as yeah, they can. Really that sense. I hope this isn't too inside baseball, but you know something. Something I think about a lot with with Microsoft is I, I think about the hiring process, right? So any any corporation has a lot of trouble, you know, attracting talent, right? And you know, I think for for years, like. You know, Google and Apple have kind of been the the sexy, you know, tech destinations for engineers to go in their careers. So, you know, when I'm looking at, um, you know, Mashable's review and The Verge's review, I sit there and start looking through what Microsoft has created. And what do I see? I see um, someone that worked, uh, I see a bunch of materials engineers that did a really good job designing, you know, this, um, this, this keyboard base with the graphics card built in. I see some very talented engineers that managed to um, you know, basically tell the graphics card to like stop using the base and to prepare itself mm-hmm. for all the battery to come from one source. I see like really high quality engineering that managed to get a large battery and a CPU and all this stuff in a tablet form factor. So I can't help but look at that and say, wow, what is the the level of engineering talent that Microsoft is being able to attract to their team nowadays to build that level of hardware? Because clearly with the it's fast huge. iteration we've seen in the Surface line, like they, they clearly, it, it may or may not be a product for you. That's beside the point. Mm-hmm. What I think is interesting is they have an engineering team that's really succeeding and bringing some really thoughtful products to the marketplace and to me that speaks to the turnaround that i privately see with my friends because like when i was at grace hopper last week i do hear engineers like they were passing out internships like candy at ghc (laughs) and you know i did hear friends of mine like i met a lot of incredibly smart women that work for microsoft and apple and google but you know i heard from students that were 
excited to you know, go intern for Microsoft. And that's not something I really heard five years ago. Yeah. I think no matter what the, the rece- personal reception to the v- devices, I think it's probably not for me, but I think it's really exciting. And I think that I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with that product line. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I would agree. And I, and I think you make a great point, Brie. I do think that there has been kind of quietly this this renaissance kind of happening at Microsoft. And I think that a lot of people have forgotten and if, if frankly, you know, undermined like how much engineering talent they have. But I mean, if you just look at Xbox um, as an example, clearly they have very good engineers working there solving, mm-hmm. you know, very challenging problems. And they obviously have access to really good people, whether or not you want to work there or not, that's, you know, whether they can attract the, the, the top talent out of colleges, I think is maybe one thing, but I know even on their, on their edge team, you know, their browser team, uh-huh. they have had, you know, they've been able to recruit a tremendous amount of very, very, very well-respected people in the open standards community. Mm-hmm. Um, people who I never would have thought would have worked at Microsoft, you know, people who have worked all over the place. And to me, that's interesting because these are people who are established in their careers and could go anywhere they wanted. Um, and, and so it's interesting that Microsoft is able to convince them to go there. And that's just on the software side, on the engineering side, I do have to think that there would be something interesting. Like if I were going to be interested in doing hardware and I didn't want to work at Apple and I didn't want to work at Qualcomm, um, I would think that Microsoft actually at this point would be an interesting place to go yeah, because uh, they have the money and the resources to really start to invest in doing some interesting things. Whereas obviously Google's doing an, a, a ton of amazing projects, but they're really not known for hardware, right? Mm-hmm. So you're probably looking more future tech stuff, maybe, you know, cars, maybe some bigger things, um, maybe some battery stuff. But if you're really looking at wanting to make consumer level stuff and, and, and make innovations that would actually seed into a product, I think at this point, Microsoft would actually be a lot more attractive than a lot of other companies simply because they're actually doing stuff and they have the money to do it. Even though they might be, you know, beaten up a little bit, they're still Microsoft, you know, still in the ring. (laughs) I have to say, you know, privately, you know, I do talk publicly in my public presence. Well, you know, this is a public podcast. Well, yeah, I'm saying... (laughs) I'm saying, uh-huh. like, you know, I do dedicate a non-trivial amount of my time to discussing women in tech issues, you know, things like that, uh, you know, LGBT representation, like all these different things. And I think Microsoft does not get enough credit for, you know, they've had, um, like, medical benefits for, you know, gay partners yes. for a long time, long before it was a political issue for the rest of the country. And, wow. you know, I do know a lot of women engineers at Microsoft, and I, I really don't mean for today to be a Microsoft app. I I don't, you know, I think one of the things I like about Rocket is I do think that we are all Apple fans here, but we we (laughs) focus on the entire, the rest of the world here, you know. um, It's nice because we don't talk about them a lot, so it's nice to give them their due. And I think that they really have done some really, really interesting stuff, especially this past year. Absolutely. Yeah. No. And frankly, I mean, you know, as far as tech podcasts go, I mean, I think, again, this is one of the things that makes, you know, like Rocket different is that we can talk about Microsoft. Absolutely. And you don't actually, unless it's a dedicated Windows podcast, most tech podcasts don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This episode Um, of Rocket (laughs) is brought to you by Braintree, code for easy online payments. If you're a mobile app developer, check out Braintree. Braintree is the payment solution used by companies like Uber, Airbnb, Hotel Tonight, Living Social, and Munchery. Braintree has made the payment experience in these apps seamless and magical, and now you can add similar experiences to your own app. With excellent customer service and simple integration, Braintree gets you ready to receive payments quickly. 
Braintree's continuous support plus fast payouts means you'll be prepared as your company grows from your first dollar to your billionth. Braintree is also helping solve the problem of mobile cart abandonment by offering a best-in-class mobile checkout experience, and they make payment experiences in some of your favorite apps seamless and magical. Now you can add similar experiences to your own app. Braintree gives you a full-stack payment solution, support for all payment types your customers might want, including PayPal, Apple Pay, Bitcoin, Venmo, cards, and more, all with a single integration. It is with you across all platforms, and it has superior fraud protection and fantastic customer service and fast payouts. To learn more and for your first $50,000 in transactions fee-free, please go to braintreepayments.com rocket and check out Braintree. Thank you so much for sponsoring this episode of Rocket and Relay FM. Thank you, I, Braintree. I had, I had an engineer for Braintree come to my uh, keynote at GHC. And, like, did you like, shake their come, hand profusely and I, thank I them? Did. Did you I say did. thank you for Venmo? Because I would have said thank I, you for oh. Venmo. <laughs> I love Venmo so much. No, right? I was going to so, say, Simone gets it. Thank no, you for Venmo. I, I look up. What's weird about Venmo is I can see how, many, how much you use it, Christina, because it shows up in my <laughs> That account. is the best thing about it, though. It is. Really? It is this weird yeah? social network. It's yeah? the social network component. I freaking love it. Oh, uh, it's awesome. No, no, no. One of their engineers came to my talk at GHC and like afterwards, I'm like, she's like, can I get a picture? I'm like, get a picture. I need to shake your hand for sponsoring our podcast. Thank you. These we hands. love Braintree. Yes. So can we, uh, can we move on and talk about uh, Gear VR? Can yeah, totally. Please talk about Gear oh VR. Oh my God. So, you know, this is, again, before we, we start talking about this, yeah, I want to say something I love about Rock is we do talk about different ecosystems. So something, something I have really made an effort to do lately is to understand Android. And yeah, I just want to be straight with you. Um, Christine, I'm sure lots of Android devices make their way through the Mashable office. Probably same with you, uh, Simone. You probably mm. end up looking at Android games maybe sometimes. For me, I have never really used Android except very, very casually. Um, and, you know, we have started at our office for a multitude of reasons to take Android more seriously. Um, and, you know, like we, we have some test devices now and, you know, I've, I've committed to using an Android phone every single day as my main phone. I don't like it as much as iOS. I just don't. But, um, one of the things that we, we had when I got back from, what my office called travel palooza, which was an entire month of living <laughs> out of hotels. Welcome um, to hell. Was, yeah, welcome. So I came back to uh, the office and both an iPhone 6S, Rose Gold, was waiting for me. Yay! And a, um, a, um, a Samsung Galaxy S6 uh, for, my, um, for my Gear VR headset. So just to give Rocket listeners a little bit of background on this. Um, you know, there's Oculus, like Oculus is a different technology, but one of the, the kind of entry level consumer um, ways to get into VR, probably the cheapest way is if you have a Samsung Galaxy phone, meaning the, um, meaning the S6 Galaxy or the Edge uh, S6, basically you can plug it into this um, $100 gadget and have yourself actually a very high quality um, VR machine. 
So, you know, we brought this back to our office. We're starting to you know, work on developing Android apps for it. Something we're going to have very soon is some of the, the cinematics from Revolution 60 made so you can experience them in VR as kind of a tech demo. Um, but I want to I wanna have a bigger, I, well, let me tell you a little bit about what the technology is actually like. And I want to have kind of a bigger conversation about what I think this is going to mean to the mobile uh, kind of um, the races between Apple and Android. So I'm not going to tell you this is a premium experience. It's just flat out not. Um, you can see the pixels when you like plug your Samsung Galaxy phone into there. Um, you kind of adjust the focus with this wheel that's around top. Uh, the software is honestly really, really clunky. Um, you know, like getting mm -hmm. it to install was, it was pretty seamless because you, you put it in the machine and then downloads a bunch of stuff. So for Android, it was, it was very well integrated, but, um, <laughs> you know, you're also trying to like sync an external Bluetooth controller to it to like operate menus. And, you know, that's not really mm -hmm. super intuitive. The software with it is really, really, really interesting. Um, you know, they have all kinds of experiences, everything from, you know, one of my favorites was, um, you know, you have this Jurassic Park demo. So you put it on and basically all it is, is like a, an animated experience where you're there with a, a dinosaur that's just hanging out in Jurassic Park. And, yeah, you know, they they bring mm -hmm. their head down near you and kind of sniff you and then run off, and it's <laughs> it's really immersive. So it's and my fantasies ever yes. since I was a little girl. Right. I was going to say that sounds like something that like Simone needs like now. Right, you should you should definitely do it. It's <laughs> it's very immersive, but it's also very um, very Gen One, and uh, I think the the biggest problem with it is the. The nausea is off the scale with it. It is, it really? is terrible for nausea. Yeah, it's um, not great. That's interesting yeah, because yeah. please go ahead. I thought that part a component of reducing nausea was having graphics that weren't as realistic or as uncanny valley. So with this, since it has drastically different graphics from things like the Oculus, do you think that that is contributing to the nausea factor, or is it just? The experiences well, that they have for We can it. look at studies and controlling nausea in VR is what we call multifactorial. So it, it's yeah. many things. It's keeping the player still. The most important thing is frame rate. And, you know, like, so mm -hmm. having very visible pixels and kind of a slightly lower frame rate, rate with a little bit of trail as you move your head and that lag, that lag is what causes yeah, I was nausea. Say, okay. so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's the lag yeah. that I've noticed with it more than, yeah. than, than on the Oculus. So my my big with issue with it, it interesting. Yeah, I didn't know you had played with it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, we got one yeah, in the office yeah. and, and I played with it a lot. I watched uh, part of the debate last week on it, uh, which oh, was a weird experience. Nice. But that actually created what, the, what, my, what my biggest problem with it is, which is battery life. Yes, it's terrible. Why you can't plug in the thing at, with it is just beyond well, me. Because right, it I mean, lasts an hour at best. Well, that know? was the thing. <laughs> CNN had a two and a half hour debate and you couldn't watch the entire debate in the ridiculous you know, Gear VR thing. First of all, they only made it work in Gear VR. You couldn't use it in, in any other um, you know, device. You couldn't use it in cardboard or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, second, you know, the device would last you know, not even the entire length of the debate. Third, it was sort of a BS 
used to do the debate. So you're watching video and you can turn your head to your left and see the moderators and turn to the right and see all the candidates. But it wasn't a great thing. But but anyway, I, I didn't mean to hijack your thing. I just wanted no, to no, say no, that. No, Christina, the, the, this is like I, I'm coming at it from the engineer perspective. Right. So I'm, I'm actually extremely interested in what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. My big thing was battery life. To the, I mean, it's almost like you have to, again, I would agree with you. Primitive is, is the best word to kind of describe. So it's all very Gen 1. You know, it's, 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 it's very clear that, you know, how it is right now, it's very clear why they haven't productized it, you know, beyond just kind of aiming it at developers because it's not ready. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that you could, you know, other than developers and early adopters, I don't know if there's anybody who would be willing to pay the money for it. Um, you know, unless you just have a lot of disposable income because, there's not really any content for it, which is obviously what they're trying to solve. But beyond that, I mean, it's just the experience, the, the lag especially. I think mm-hmm. you can see what they're trying to do. And in a few years, I think they'll be there. But right now, um, I feel like, you know, it, you can really see the places where the technology is just begging to be just a little bit better. Yeah. Well, so, I have to say this. Everyone at Oculus Connect got a Gear VR, you know, and that is seeding it out to... Yeah, that's a really smart move. And I have to say, um, you know, the reason GSX has stayed away from Android development up until this point is it was just too difficult. Like Unreal, uh, yep. with Unreal 3, um, you know, for us uh, deploying something for Android meant every single device would have to go through and code the OpenGL on like encode it per phone for it to work which is just you know like we're a a content company i i can't do that level of i just it's not profitable to hire someone to do that you four um i've been really astonished by how easy it is to deploy um unreal binaries to android now the lighting is a hot mess and the materials are a hot mess. And, uh, you know, like we're trying to figure out all these different settings to turn on and off. Like right. it's, it's, it's not as polished as iOS by, by even a tenth. But um, you see all the, the blocks there. And yeah, this is where I kind of wanted to get into a, a bigger talk here. And, you know, I look, guys, I love Apple stuff. If you come to my house, I have nothing but MacBooks. I'm going to, you know, I'd love to get your opinion, both of you later. We're going to spend like $4,000 on a new Mac uh, on the first, you know, trying to figure out which one to get. I, <laughs> I love Apple stuff. But, you know, there's being a fangirl and there's being like kind of um, uh, looking at it as kind of a professional. Yep. And what what I was really struck by and Please don't write me angry emails about this. But, you know, I had the 6S waiting for me when I got home with 3D Touch on it. And, you know, I had this um, Samsung Galaxy right next to each other. I had the experience of, like, setting them both up at the same time. And, you know, 3D Touch, I see where it's going. And it's really cool to, like, hold down, you know, like, let me write a tweet very quickly. Or let me hold down the news app and go straight to Mashable. Um, it's a cool gimmick, but yeah, to me, this last phone doesn't really have a wow factor that compares with like, wow, look at this Android infrastructure that's, you know, starting to put the ground root there for VR, you know, and when I go to conferences, I do see a lot more people from Google there than Apple that are working in VR. And yeah, that's you know, very true. I, I, I think there's a... Um, 
you know, it's not very apple to assume that like Apple users are going to go buy uh, something strapped to their head <laughs> to like <laughs> pretend to be in different worlds. But if this technology takes off, um, I really wonder if I really wonder where Apple is going to be with that. Does that make sense to you? I think that makes complete sense. And I think it's a good point. I mean, I for I mean, I have to assume and I have assumed, frankly, and maybe I'm wrong on this, but I've assumed the deep within their labs that they are working on VR. I've had because, you know, the same way that everybody's working on cars, I have to assume that every company is at least on some small level working on VR. Um, but obviously, the people who've been public about it have been Oculus, have been Google, have been Microsoft. Steam. Um, Steam. Steam too, excuse yeah. me. Yes. And, uh, uh, Steam. Um, the reason I say, well, the reason I kind of write Valve off, not to write Valve off, but <laughs> they're, right now they're partnering with HTC. HTC and, and, yeah. and unfortunately, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't think HTC is going to be around in a year. I don't either. Um, and so, uh, you know, and this has kind of been Valve's problem is that they tend to partner on the hardware side with with they tend you know we've seen this with the steam box too but anyway this is a whole other discussion my my but my point is like i i wonder i have to assume i have to assume that apple is interested in this they just haven't in a very i mean in typical apple fashion you know they tend to show things off when they're ready to be shown off right um rather than you know being part of this but i do think your broader point and i think this is actually interesting by being secretive in this nature are they potentially maybe not at risk for not having, um, you know, uh, a consumer, something consumer facing ready? Because I think they'll have that whenever it needs to be done. Uh, but will yeah. they not be part of this budding community of developers and of artists and of creators who are starting to play with things on this platform, who are now going to these conferences and are meeting and are discussing things and are, you know, becoming part of this, you Forming know, alliances. Exactly. Like, yeah. and, and so, yeah. you know, you have to wonder on that case, does it, is, is that a potential, um, uh, you know, detriment to, to maybe their philosophy? Because I have to assume they're at least on some level working on something. Well, but can I, wonder, I say something about that sure. really quickly? You know, to me, I have a, a column coming out in MacLife this, um, this month. And, you know, look, the Apple TV, the new Apple TV that came out is going to be an excellent 10 out of 10 device for watching television. I cannot wait for that. But when it comes to being a gaming device, I would give what I saw a D, you know, it's more of Mm -hmm. the same. It's more of these forgettable ephemeral experiences. And just for a myriad of reasons, like I see Apple following the same path that they took from the, from the app store. And, you know, like doesn't work in that paradigm. it, it, It doesn't. And, you know, there are small changes that, yeah, I'm not expecting them to come out and compete with the Sony PlayStation, but there are small changes <laughs> that they could have made in the, sure. the way that it's engineered. So they could have competed more with games like um, Towerfall Ascension, which would be perfect for an Apple TV. You know, they they chose to make it in a way that locks you into Apple's tools. So yes. so with that with that point, you know, Apple's next big move into like here's the future, here's where we're going was extremely, extremely, extremely conservative with kind of advancing the technology for gaming. So, like, right now, this is, like, the conferences that are happening right now, choose who's going to win, where the developers are. Like, this is, like, this was Apple's advantage. It was there for the iPhone. It got in there quick. It got developers locked into the ecosystem, and they won, ultimately, because of the developers. I really worry that there is work to be done here and i think it's gonna 
I, I don't think Apple's going to be as positioned. Does that make sense to you? What it makes me think of is uh, we had a conversation a while ago about mm-hmm. developing in isolation versus developing in an open community and what, oh. what innovation you can have by having a community with a bunch of different backgrounds coming together. And then also what you can accomplish by limiting the people that are aware of what you're working on and the people that have a hand in what you're doing. And clearly Apple falls more on the the latter, the latter side. And we've also talked before about how few women, visible women there are in Apple. And I know you, Brianna, when you were Oculus Connect, you were commenting the whole time on how many women were part of this burgeoning VR community and how many how it is possible since this community is being built from the ground up as we speak, how it is possible for it to come out as a more equal place. So that's, that's kind of what this conversation makes me think about when we talk about Apple developing VR products in secret, which again, we don't know. They, They probably are, but we don't know. I'm sure that whatever they put out will be a solid consumer facing product because that's what they do. And I also, speaking of the Apple TV, I feel like that's not necessarily a move towards the future of gaming. I see that more no. as a solidification no. of what they do with the televisions yes. in, in that I, sense. And I was going to say, I think is, that, yeah. I was, I was going to agree with that. I, I think that for, for the Apple TV, I don't think they're trying to move gaming forward at all. I think if anything at the, they're saying this is a bonus. And I yeah. think that to a certain degree, what they're trying to capture and I don't necessarily think this is wrong. I don't think this moves gaming forward, but I don't think this is a wrong approach to do. But I think what they're trying to kind of capture is that kind of gaming is for everyone um, moment that happened with the Wii a decade ago. Yeah. Where literally because of the Wii, because it was great, because you could use it with everybody, it brought a lot of people back to gaming who hadn't played games in you know five or ten years or, or maybe even longer than that. And it was this great device that literally everyone had call- from college students to grandparents. And um, because Nintendo didn't join HD enough, fast enough, you know, they lost that. And yeah. in the Wii U, which is a great console has not taken off. And so at this point, it is really frustrating (laughs) because it's a great console. But at this point, you know, you've still got the, you're still in the early generation stages with the Xbox one and the PlayStation four, where it, the primarily target is still, you know, um, people who are are willing to spend money on games and people who are more serious about it. It hasn't gotten to that point where like the 360, Mm -hmm. more people were buying it towards the end. By the end, by, by the last two or three years of its existence, more people bought it to watch TV than to play games. And so I think that's what Apple is kind of going after is trying to say for the casual person who is already playing casual games on their iPhone, Mm -hmm. let's bring that experience to the living room and maybe try to, I think they're trying to recapture the Wii thing. Now, whether that works or not, I don't know. And I'm not, and and, and it is, it is disappointing that they're not maybe moving gaming forward, but I don't think that it's a bad thing. I don't feel like they have to move gaming forward. I I think it is a good thing. Um, but I also am very skeptical that it will capture that family audience that they are looking for. I don't think it will. I'm going to be, I'm going to be upfront. I think it'll be a success, but I don't think it will, but I think that that's what they're going after. I mean, yeah, I you know, look, let's be let's be straight up. Like I have friends that work on the Amazon Games team. That ecosystem is a complete failure. Well, yes, you know, but it, in it's fairness, just, it is. But in fairness, they that ecosystem has is is the Amazon App Store, which is a failure for lots of reasons. And right. So right. Oh, I this, don't think it's yeah. yeah so I mean, this, I'm, I don't I'm, know how comparable it is, just because if your iOS games are going to work, if people are going to be able to port that, I think this is a slight. They're coming at it with a slight 
advantage. I, but, I, agree I with do, that. but yeah. but I don't think that I, again, I think that this is kind of an add-on thing that everybody's doing. We can do it, but I certainly don't think people are going to suddenly start buying Apple TVs so they can play Wii Tennis. You know, it's I, not going to be one of those I things. I guess I would say this. You know, we all read, or at least, uh, you know, Tim Cook's comments came out, uh, yes. you know, this weekend. He was talking about, like, how the channel is a completely outdated concept and how it's time to step away from the shore with the television, which I agree with that. Like he was talking about trying to explain <laughs> the concept of a channel to his niece. And yeah. it was just, it just didn't make sense. Like I get it, but to see them playing it so safe with the game industry, you know, Apple is arguably the largest game company in the entire world yes. right now. And they found themselves yeah. there completely by accident. So yeah, yeah. I feel like on the, this is a tangent, but I, I feel like my general point <laughs> here is if you look at the Apple TV, I think you see a move. We would all three agree it's a very safe move that they've made. Um, and I, I really have to, I really, look, we like working with Apple. I appreciate the support they gave Rev60. Um, every time I've worked with Apple, they've been serious professionals. So I want to be really clear about that. But I think it's accurate to say the last eight years of App Store policy, seven years, have created some frustrations with the with the development community absolutely and i think with indie game devs i think it would be fair to say we're frustrated i think we're professional app makers i think the lack of paid upgrades and demos is frustrating and i think it is a legitimate question to say look apple i love your stuff i want you to win secretly even though i may talk about other companies <laughs> on rocket we were rooting but for you we were all rooting I, for I, you we were yes. all rooting oh. for you god but bless you Roback. I, I am worried i am worried that seeing android make a very smart leap into vr in good the job midst bringing of it a back huge to the industry of segment. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Good. Good job bringing it back to the topic right, of right, this right, segment. Right, right. No, you nailed it. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm worried that seeing Android making such a bold move in this direction, while seeing Apple be so conservative, um, I, I I think it's time for them to like lose sight of the shore with games too. So that is my overall thought. What, let me ask you this before yeah. we move on. Um, yeah. When you're talking about Android, kind of you know making these moves, and I agree with that, but Although Google's definitely doing a lot, do you think the ultimately the fragmentation of Android, the fact that you kind of have these parallel efforts by Samsung and Oculus, you have Google doing cardboard, you have, you know, Samsung doing, you know, the Gear Live, you have, um, you know, other people doing other types of stuff. Do you think that that could potentially dilute what happens? Because I don't see, for instance, you know, developers wanting to build VR experiences for more than one platform, a lot of yeah. them anyway. You know, you're going to pick what wins, and that's probably right now that can be Oculus. So you're probably going to look at Steam or you're, you're, you know what I mean? You're going to look at Steam VR or you're going to look at Oculus. Um, I, I don't see a lot of people kind of, you know, wanting to to do other stuff. Do you think... Th I mean, obviously, you're right. They're, they're definitely um, at the, the cutting edge. More Google people are showing up to these events. They're definitely a lot more active. But do you think that Android's fragmentation of its very nature and the fact that even their VR efforts are kind of bifurcated into different spheres, do you think that could potentially hurt them? Yeah, of course. I mean, this is one of the – when I talk to venture capitalists, one of the biggest problems is – no one knows who the winner is going to be yet, right? Um, I am not so sure Oculus is going to win for a lot sure. of reasons, some of which I can't talk about on the show. Um, I, I'm not, 
I think they've got a good lead time. But um, yeah, for us, we concentrate on the engine. So like we work a lot with Unreal because whoever wins, Epic will work with, right? Sure. And you know, Epic will let us export the the content we make to a wide variety of devices right, right now. So I, I agree it's going to be a big problem. I do see cardboard is still more of an experiment than a viable consumer platform I, well, at this I, time. I, I, yeah. I, well, that's what I'm saying. I 100% right. agree. But every time you talk about VR with, with Google, at least right. what I do, I mean, it, it's probably very different from, you know, from, a, from who they talk to from a developer standpoint. But from right. a PR standpoint, at least everything they want to say about VR Everything has to do with cardboard, yeah. and so I I th- I feel like okay I think cardboard is a gimmick and an, an experiment and it's interesting, yeah. but I don't see that as taking off. I don't see that as winning. Let me be very clear on that. I, I don't Google's, either. I no. do not see that as winning. No. I think Google would like it to win. It is not going to win. No. So I wonder then if that's like I guess I wonder like how committed is Google to this and how much of this you know what I'm saying. Like, can, I, can I say something well, about how much this? Is I'm, I'm not going to mention names. for something that they're working on secretly. Sorry, go on. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be. Uh, I, I'm you not have... going to mention names with this. Yes, uh, of course. So I am. I am going to a meeting today. And I'm having a meeting with some high level women. Okay, and we are sitting there. We are talking about gatekeepers at a certain company that are curating VR content. Right. So what we're talking about is mechanisms in place with major corporations going out there to developers saying, hey, we'll monetize your stuff. We'll sell it in our storefront. Come through me. We will assemble it. We will market it. We will get the hardware out there. I see three entities working on that problem right now. Um Cardboard isn't one of them. Right. So, <laughs> Precisely. you know, and that is the action that's going to lead to market leaders. It's why Absolutely. Steam is a leader today. It's why yes. the App Store is a leader. And, you know, I just, I, I, I see this as being a bold move with Android. And I do believe, Christina, I do believe eventually, I, I can imagine a future where, we kind of hit a hardware point where most people's cell phones can kind of work with, you know, whatever gear VR thing is, yes. you know, I well, can that imagine be, I, that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's ultimately the goal. And I think if, if, if Android can come to a, a base level of, of, you know, of, you know, specs and, and, and you can um, have a gear VR like thing that, you know, whether Oculus or someone else, you know, makes it or not, um, or, or Samsung or someone else makes it or not, um, you can insert your, your Android phone into it and it'll work. I agree. I think that's the future. Um, and I guess if Unity is going to support, you know, exporting to Android, I guess that that'll be good. I just wonder if, um, how much if that is going to be, I guess, implicit on on having to work around Google rather than working with them because it seems like their visions of the VR future might be slightly on a different path than the way other people are using Android, which to me has actually been Android's biggest challenge all along because it is yeah. this open system and it's so great. Everybody uses it in different ways. But Google often has ideas for that too. Like we've seen this on the on the TV. This is a great example where you saw a lot of Android-based set-top boxes. We've seen a lot of these, you know, Ouya and mm-hmm. some of the other things that have all failed. Um, even the Amazon, you know, Fire TV, which is an Android fork, you know, um, and, and then Google has their own living room efforts, which have also failed. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, you've seen a lot of people who try to use Android for the base, even like in, in, in cars systems. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then, and then there's Android auto, you know, you have a lot of people using Android as the base for things. And then Google, 
kind of has uh, uh, watches. Another example, you know, Sony had an Android based smartwatch a couple of years before Android Wear came out. And so I almost wonder if it's one of these things where this is going to be an industry that is created and, and is very much Android based. But because Google's not maybe directly involved, that might make it a struggle. Not to yeah. say it won't be successful, but it might make it a struggle for the others. And if it's going to ultimately be, you know, if Unity will ultimately be, you know, Epic will be responsible for making sure this stuff works. Yeah. Because you can't really trust Google to be the steward. Can I be straight up with you, Christina? I think, I think the, 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 the computing hardware is fungible. And what I mean by fungible, anyone can... Like to me, the least important question is like whose CPU or what architecture powers the goggles as we look around. It's not really an interesting problem. Like getting that to be smaller and more responsive and have a good frame rate, yes, that is of primary concern. That is ultimately a fungible thing. To me, what the the really interesting question is is who's going to figure out the input. Who's going to figure out the input? Right now, we have an Oculus's controller, which is going to look like the Nintendo Power Glove in a few yep. years. Like it's it's a great start, but you know you look at haptic glove technology, and there are two different approaches to them. One is to like recreate a bunch of airbags in your glove to like simulate <laughs> feedback. Like it sounds dumb, but it's actually a very superior approach. And the other is just to rumble everything with electromagnets. Whoever figures out the input. That is who's going to be, that is going to be the person that wins, the person that assembles an ecosystem with dedicated developers that can work in it and sell their products in a, in a way. Like, that's going to be who wins. And I think it's going to be the input side of it more than the goggle side of it. All right. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can start building your website today, in fact, immediately at squarespace.com. And you can enter offer code ROCKET at checkout to get 10% off. So you'll you'll start building a website immediately and you'll build it for cheap. Squarespace is the best place to start building a website online. It makes it super easy to make exactly the site that you want to do to put your product out there, to put your portfolio out there, whatever it is that you're looking on publishing. They have you covered with a ton of templates designed for specific purposes, and they're really intuitive and easy to use. No coding required. Christina, you. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you bought a Squarespace site. I did. I did. I've launched a podcast on Squarespace even. Like, so if you go to basicbitchesguidetolife.com. Yes. And it'll uh, be in the show notes. It, yes. It, it, it's a new podcast I'm doing with my friend Allie. It's basically, uh, it's exactly what it says on the tin. It's Basic Bitches Guide to Life. It's a pop culture podcast that Allie and I do. We now are, uh, we have two episodes uploaded. We have one more that I need to upload as like a lost episode because it's now woefully out of date. We're, we're trying to do it once a week and basically talk about pop culture news and 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 the more basic um, uh, things in life. And it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. But um, we're um, because we're not on a network or, or anything. You know, we're just kind of uh, trying it out and before we see if we can maybe take it someplace. Um, mm-hmm. I'm hosting it so on you Squarespace. Built Squarespace so, site. Yeah, so How, I built a Squarespace site. It looks good. How did you build it? It was super easy. I found a template that I liked. I tried a couple of different ones. I found one that I liked, um, you know, used their their builder to kind of build things out. The form that I created, like, you know, the contact form was just a super easy thing to do. 
Um, setting up the podcast was remarkably simple. You know, you upload the audio file and you enter in the iTunes metadata and it, you know, I, I was able to get my RSS feed and then submit that to iTunes, got it all through, you know, like it, it's, um, there, there are metrics so you can see how many people visit. You can also see all your RSS subscribers and like, I can see how many people have subscribed from Overcast, which is nice to see and, or from other podcatchers, they'll show your, your different sources. Um, it's super easy to add different elements and photos, like, you know, even doing something that's in HTML or CSS, well, CSS, I guess, technically, um, it would be sort of complicated, like having two photos um, side by side. Um, if, if you wanted to have them, you know, uh, I, guess, I guess, you know, two square photos side by side centered, that can kind of be a, a challenge um, if you were to, to do this, you know, like in WordPress or something, because you'd need to define your columns and, and your spacing. Whereas this, you know, you literally just p- kind of pick a place to upload and drag and drop. And, and it's, um, I, I haven't used Squarespace in a couple of years actively and I was really impressed by how easy it was and they, they really have kind of taken the the WYSIWYG approach to doing things but if you want to get a little bit deeper into the code you can do that too but um, I'm really impressed with how um, easy their, uh, their their system was and and I, I think our site looks great we're going to continue to kind of add things to it but it's very very simple template but it's um, it's effective it's you know responsive looks good on mobile and uh, you know you can listen to the podcast directly from it um, and go to all the other things so mm-hmm. yay, yay thank you Squarespace and the commerce platform means you can add a store. Oh my and god! Basic bitches guide to t-shirts. Oh, and I would totally buy that t-shirt. Okay, okay. So I'm gonna have to do this now because you're right. Um, also, I should note that um, uh, the uh, the cover photo I have for a podcast, which is not viewable on the site, I should make it viewable on the site. But if you subscribe to us on iTunes, you'll see it. What's literally like the quickest. Like I like found like a script font that I liked, and did you do a nasty put it in Photoshop. Photoshop job? Oh, I did, but it's so good. Uh, it genuinely, like, if you, you right look now. it up, if you look it up, it's actually it's it's the it's perfect exactly for what it is. It's a pink background with like a white script lettering that says "The Basic Bitches Guide to Life." It's great. Oh, nice. Love so, it. So Squarespace also has twenty four seven support with live chat and email. They have teams in New York and Dublin and Portland, all the important places of the world, uh, so that they can help you with any problems that you might have. They also have a feature called the cover page, where you can basically just build a single page website Love or that. whatever need you have which is awesome um and they have fast hosting and they're they're just really solid millions and millions of people use squarespace sites um they're known for a reason and you should totally go check them out uh and the plans just start start at eight dollars a month which is awesome and if you sign up for a year you'll get a free domain name which is even more awesome so again If you want to start a trial, no credit card required, go to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, make sure that you use the offer code ROCKET to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Rocket. It's us. You love us. Um, Thank you so much, Squarespace, for supporting this show. I'm going to – I'm in the – podcast app right now okay i'll do that later (laughs) focus simone i'm gonna start listening to christina's other podcast while we're recording this podcast i'll have like one earbud in i'll just be laughing laughing at christina's jokes (laughs) Allie and i are adorable i will say i'm sure you are did we want to talk about youtube red or did we want to talk about something later super quickly yeah yeah then we'll kind of end the show so sure Okay. Yeah. So I, I honestly don't know if it's a quick topic, but basically YouTube is launching a subscription for ad for YouTube and it's going to be called YouTube Red, which is a great way to get the mix up with RedTube, but it's fine. Um, so that 
is going to be part of Google Play Music. So if you subscribe to one, you're going to get both of them. I think that the interesting thing about this, oh, and they're also launching an app called YouTube Music, which will be, uh, you know, curated that all the music videos, other music related videos on YouTube from their music content creators. And that's really interesting to me. I think one of the the big issue around this right now, and TechCrunch wrote about this, is that their their YouTube partners had to sign up for this revenue sharing with YouTube Red, and if they did not sign up for that revenue sharing, they would their videos would not be visible to non-paying YouTube users, yeah. which is questionable. Um, it is, and yet it's there is significant precedence here in fact they already have this for if you want to upload music Mm -hmm. to to the service so this is how this has worked for a while when they first launched um their their music a kind of program like like google music or whatever like that was a thing where basically if you wanted your songs to be on youtube then it would have to be agreed to be part of, of of google's music service that they were testing out which is now what red is which basically meant you would have to allow people to you know, have it ad free or whatever, um, if they paid. So yeah, they've done this sort of thing before, but I agree. It's questionable, but it's, it's, I mean, I mean, are you really surprised? I'm not. No, well, obviously not, but I mean, I think John Gruber said it best, you know, when you are the market leader, like when you're the kingpin, you can make the rules. And unfortunately at this point, you know, I think not unfortunate, not unfortunate because YouTube's bad. Unfortunate because I, anybody who has this much of a juggernaut, I think can be dangerous. Um, if you are a video creator, you do not have a choice. You need to be on YouTube, period. Yeah. So there's really nothing you can do, you know, for uh, – you know, you're going to have to just suck it up and say, okay, if I, if I want to be on this platform, then I, I've got to play by the rules. I guess um, you know, my thought with this as I was reading it is, you know, Apple updates their terms of surface routinely. For developers yep. and you know kind of makes you adhere to it and you know, it used to be very <laughs> stressful for me as a company so i'd read through it and like oh what am i agreeing to now and it's like you know they do make you do it so often and they'll like pull your thing for sale if you don't say yes um, just like you know, whatever just, sign my yeah, life away you pretty much have to do it because it's their platform that they control and at they this said point. like 99 percent of the partners did sign up for the of course they did youtube red so right. yeah because yeah. what are you gonna do you're not gonna right. start over from scratch i also so I also think this is a point really worth thinking about, you know, and, you know, I'm in my 30s. Something that is very true is people of my generation bought music. We were very used to the CD model and the MP3 yep. model. Something I think a lot of people do not understand is people that are younger than us don't buy music. They watch it on YouTube. They will watch it with the ads. And that's just the vast majority of how people watch, listen to music nowadays. So I think like, I have to be honest, like thinking about paying for $10 just to not watch dumb YouTube ads, like that alone sounds great okay, to that's, me. That's a good you point. Know? One of the things about yeah. YouTube Red is that it will allow, or you will have background play. So you can right. actually keep listening to your music or yeah, Absolutely. your videos in another app. Which you've been able to do with third-party apps. There have been third-party YouTube apps that have allowed this for quite some time, but this yeah. will actually now do it in the official app. But I think the big thing, I think you're right, Bree, paying to get rid of the ads is a big move. And I think, honestly, 
um, that's what most people will be paying for. I, I don't see the original content driving anybody sub- to subscribe to this at all. No matter how popular PewDiePie is, I don't think that him having one exclusive show for the free for, for the paid users is going to make anybody pay for anything. And just looking at the slate of programming that they have, like Untitled, So-and-So Project, like I respect Cynthia Daniels, who's um, she was the head of uh, programming at, at – um, uh, MTV and she's now at YouTube and before that she was actually one of the original people at the WB network and she's done a lot of stuff and I respect her a lot but I think that they're probably going to run into the same problems that Hulu was run into when developing mm. original content which is yeah. when you're de- you still they're still treating it like the web is different than TV whereas Netflix and Amazon have realized you've got to acquire like the high end stuff and in the high end production people to do it i think the problem with YouTube is that there is a shorter audience span you know videos do still tend to be shorter in length and and there is still kind of an episodic kind of uh and and even though people spend tons of money to make it look low res like there's still um they spend a lot of money to do it there's still a certain like connotation to like making it look like it's you know people are doing it themselves um and i don't know how well that that's going to translate a to scripted programming at all i don't think it's going to work um b to exclusive content i mean look pewdiepie is great but i don't know how many how many of his fans are genuinely going to want to spend 10 bucks a month to watch another show he does and you'll note too it's not like he's moving his main show to the pay Mm -hmm. thing he's doing a a one-off show you know there here's the thing about youtube creators is that people don't really like to give them money like every time something comes out about how much money pewdiepie makes there are people coming out of the walls going he doesn't deserve the money he well they're jealous yeah, because, yeah. Because, no, no, they're jealous because I, I don't agree with that because I think Patreon is a perfect example where people don't mind giving YouTube, you know, creators money. I think true, they yeah. get jealous. And, you know, I mean, we, you get jealous of a Michelle fan. You get jealous of PewDiePie. You get jealous of some of these other people. That That's what happens. Um, I think it's people who are butthurt and frankly angry that they – I think that they but wish they could make like, that much money playing There is this concept that you – you, shouldn't have to pay for it i think that there i think that there is a very real and maybe it's just because youtube has for so long been the place where everyone can upload your videos and yes there are people who will get millions and there are people who will get like 10 views but it has for so long been a huge melting pot of all different content creators and i think that that kind that spirit is very ingrained in that community that like i sure i want to i love rooster teeth i want to support rooster teeth they'll buy their clothes i'll support them if they had a patreon i don't think they do i would support them there but i think that the idea but you wouldn't want to pay for an exclusive show Exactly. And Rooster Teeth actually does have their own exclusive content, but it's through their own website. Well, so that's my of, point. Yeah. I mean, people will do that, and that's what you can do through Patreon and other things. And again, I think you're right. I mean, look, I think people – because I think it's one thing to pay for no ads. And again, that's what I think people will do. But I don't see the programming, no matter how good – unless they were to acquire something like a House of Cards or an Orange <laughs> is the New Black or YouTube's a Breaking Bad. Well, no, I mean, honestly, unless they were able to do something at that level, I don't see anybody paying for the content just yeah, because totally at this agree. point. And I think this is YouTube's fault because YouTube has for a long time um, not really valued content. I mean, YouTube themselves have, but Google as a company hasn't. I, I fundamentally still don't think Google understands content. And YouTube hasn't really valued it in a sense because of the way they had the monetization system working, even to this day, even with this. You can't sell your own ads on YouTube. You have to use Google. And so Google sells the ads for you. You can't do your own deals. Now they get mad if people have too many like pre-roll stuff or have too many things in the background. They don't like people you know, subverting the ad game. And yet Mm -hmm. the reason PewDiePie makes so much money is not because of his AdSense. 
but because of the sponsorships and other promotions and things that he's able to do. Okay. He makes some of it through like the, you know, YouTube paying him a lot of money because he's got a lot of views, but mm-hmm. a lot of it comes from other sources of income, right? Same with Michelle Fan. A lot of that, a lot of her money does not just from like her, you know, views on her videos, but is from, you know, her makeup line and all her other sponsorships and things like that. So I feel like they've created this community where the con- they've kind of themselves devalued content by not letting creators sell their own ads and, and do their own thing. And they've kind of opened this ecosystem up where everything should be free and, and, and let everybody upload it. That I feel like they are doing themselves at this point, they are kind of now it's in a weird situation where now they want people to pay for content. Like they were the anti paywall place. Like they were yeah. the ones who were trying to break down the networks and get networks to upload their TV shows for free. And networks are like, no, but we will put a <laughs> clip on it because everybody's here. So you can watch a preview you, but there's no way we'll give you the full thing. So now it seems weird for them to be like, well, after years of trying to get you to give us your high-end content for free, we're now going to say pay us for maybe low-quality content. And and maybe low-quality is the wrong word, but certainly like more lo-fi than, you know, it's, you're not going to see multi-million dollar productions on YouTube behind mm-hmm. this paywall. Like, that's very not going to happen. As well. Very niche. And that's the thing too, is that it's like that works if you're Crunchyroll, right? That works if you're some other services. I don't know if it works for YouTube, but I don't think it has to because mm-hmm. I do think that the the core part of this announcement really, the reason people will pay, if people are going to pay, is to get rid of the ads. Yeah, that's fair. And it, I think the all the all the moves that they're making with YouTube Red, YouTube gaming, um, and now YouTube music, I think are serving to kind of implement a way in this, you know, in the the 10th hour to curate people and push them into like make it easier for them to find that higher quality content in their area of interest, whereas it was more difficult to do that before. So yeah, I think I think it will be it will be interesting. I don't know. I, for me, at least in people in my age group, I feel like we can only afford to pay for one $10 thing a month. I agree. And well, it, yeah, I, I agree. And that's gonna be interesting because I think most people are gonna choose Netflix. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's I. You know, I think that's really perceptive, Simone. I think he hit the the nail on the head. There's something about YouTube that is it's more ephemeral. I I don't know how else to say it. Like cheap feeling experiences. Yeah, right? and, and, and like, another like, thing about it is yeah. that it, a lot of the content there is so personality based. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you have PewDiePie, who you, you always start off as a grassroots person on YouTube. And maybe you aren't at the the level where you're PewDiePie or your rooster teeth, but you, there is still that idea that I'm watching your videos because I like you. I right. like you, you're, what you're doing. So yeah, creating a paid tier of that, even within, even within that system, I agree. And and I think that's why. You know, I think even the idea like what his show is going to be is like scare PewDiePie. Like it's weird, right? Like <laughs> I don't know who would pay to see that. Like I love him, but like I don't know who would pay to like see people scare him. Like that just – that seems like an idea. It honestly sounds like a very basic cable like – 20 years ago idea of like if we were going to start a new tv network or i'm going to start an online tv network five years ago it it's, yeah. it seems derivative of, of stuff that's already happened and i feel like you know hulu finally realized a lot a lot of their originals didn't really work and so you know it's acquiring the good stuff mindy project being one of them and and mm-hmm. and um you know they're starting to do some better content but they still don't have a lot of originals so they're just now acquiring a bunch of stuff but like amazon you know like transparent you know it's like a freaking great show and i just i wonder i think you're right i think the personality driven aspect makes it harder it's like it's easier if it's a one to one payment thing like you feel like you're mm-hmm. actually putting money in their coffers but it's a different thing if you're paying a tier to then get access 
access to these personalities who, again, it's not going to be their main channel. It's going to be like yeah. this show. It's like because these people who are big enough to know it realize that like they would never ever put themselves behind a paywall and you have to wonder if they're not going to put their main thing behind a paywall then why should i be paying anything mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think that's well said all right i don't know i i think last or i was saying on is you know if I, I i haven't seen a lot of people talk about the music angle of it and a lot of the edm that i like is you know you can't buy it like right. there are specific songs that i love like there's one by uh redondo it's called love too deep and like they've specifically locked it out of the United States for some ungodly reason where I can't get this <laughs> remix. It doesn't matter if I go to Deep Tracks. It doesn't matter if I go to iTunes. So like some of the the best, most interesting music all around the world is literally only available on YouTube where I don't pay the subscribers a dime. So if like this is something I can pay $10 a month for and get a quality product and get awesome videos. I mean, like that's a no brainer for $10 a month for me. If I get to not see any more stupid YouTube ads on top totally. of it, like I'm down, I, I've I'm been, down. Yeah. And I've, I've been beta testing before it was called red. It was like YouTube's music thing or whatever. And so I've been part of that since, cause it was originally supposed to launch months ago. And so huh. I joined it. I, I was, I was given access to it, I think like in March and it was supposed to expire in May and then it was supposed to expire in like, July. And then it was supposed to, I think last I heard was October, which I guess is now, but I'm technically, I guess, still part of it. And so I've been able to enjoy the ad-free YouTube experience, uh, um, at least for music stuff for a while, not for other things, but for music, no, just for music. And soon, I guess, there'll be other things. And I have to say, like, because I am fortunately not in my you know mid-20s, but I'm in my early 30s, I can help afford multiple $10 a month subscriptions. And so I don't know if I'm going to pay it, but I'm I'm probably going to pay it. <laughs> you know you're going to pay okay, it. Well, I'm going to pay more. You guys are Christina, Christina, you, pay you can't Hulu even. I pay for freaking everything. I pay for everything. And you also have cable at home. So, and and I know, pay, exactly, yeah. I pay for and I pay for Spotify and Apple Music. Like I'm going to pay for what this the too. Fuck, Please Christina. send help for Christina Warren. <laughs> We're, we're going to get you the help you so desperately need. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's wrap you. this up so we can we can take you somewhere where where they'll set you straight. Yes. Stop. Brianna, what are you up to this week? Okay, guys, I've done everything that's been asked for me. I spoke at your college. I came out, I spoke at your conference. I spoke at your other conference. I've gone to your meetings. I've, I've done your interviews. I've done everything that's been asked of me. And now I want to get some damn development work done. So Do your I'm job, sit Brianna Wu. And go ship Rev60 for PC. That is what I'm up to. I swear to God, I am going to throw every electronic device I have in like a bonfire and set it on fire if people don't stop scheduling meetings with me and get me away from development, which is what I got into this freaking thing to do. Take meetings. Today, I took a meeting at 2, I took a meeting at 3, a person called me randomly, then I took another meeting at 3.30, then another person called me for like 10 minutes, then I took another one at 4. 5, 5.30, I'm trying to go to this party and I'm trying to get off the phone. I am doing development. People need to leave me alone. Okay. Nobody talk to Nobody Brianna Wu. Nobody ever talk to me. I'll let you know when no. she's available again. Christina, what are you up to? Um, I'm sleeping. Yay. I'm sleeping. I'm sleeping. No, uh, no. I mean, I, you guys, I don't even know. Like, <laughs> the beginning of my week was so amazing and it was it's really funny because uh I think last week I'd 
found out I got the uh, the invite. It was like right before Rocket started, and so I was trying to figure out my my flight stuff. And so now, and I and I couldn't talk about it then, obviously. And now I again, yeah, I'm I'm sleeping. Nice, Good for nice you. We recovery. all support that a thousand percent. I am spending the weekend playing Assassin's Creed Syndicate, which Woohoo! yeah, I am so excited I love because I'm a so slut much. for Assassin's Creed. Uh, it, it I am too, to... Simone. Oh my god, I'm oh so slut for Thank Assassin's you. Creed. I love the game so much. I know a lot of people hate on it, but I love Assassin's Creed. Have we Creed. talked about Unity, you and me? The we game, haven't. not the developing <laughs> engine. <laughs> okay. I love Assassin's Creed Unity so much, and I have... I do too. I resent so much everything that happened around its launch and around the response to it, which is not, you know, enti- which is, is largely Ubisoft's fault for shipping a broken game. But yes. you know what? I also once it think was that fixed, it was so good. Once it was fixed, it was amazing. I never had a problem with it. I think a really? large part of the... Shh, Brianna. <laughs> so much of the response to it has been like, oh, Arno has no personality and he's a boring character. What game did you play? He is funny. He is charming. He has freaking life in his eyes, unlike so many sad, you know, Assassin's Creed protagonists. He's wonderful. I love him. I'm very upset about the ending of the game. But I, I feel did, like how did, because... how, did, how, did, how did you like Black Flag? Oh, I hated it. I hated it. I yeah. I, I like Edward Kenway. Um, I think I, I that was I'm my so, least favorite, if I'm yeah. going to be honest. But I did like the ship stuff because I mean I was. Mm. I'm really attached to the cities, and I will admit that I am very biased towards Unity because Paris is my city. I was going to say I'm really looking forward to right. to to, to, yeah. to, to um, yes, Syndicate's going to gonna be uh, Syndicate's going to be amazing because it's like Victorian London, right? Yes, plus female uh, playable amazing. character. I wait, apparently wait, wait. what what. Seriously, Brianna? Okay, so... The- I was <laughs> paying attention to Assassin's Creed after, like, that whole fiasco with Unity. So, like, what? What's going on? Here's the thing, and here's part of why okay. I'm also side-eyeing them over the whole Unity thing, because they were like, oh, female characters, uh, extra animations, difficulty. We couldn't do that. Uh, and then, of course, the game that's coming out next year, they have one of the main characters. I don't know how much of it she will be playable for. I know she'll be playable for certain missions. She's the twin sister of the male main character. So that they have been pretty equally represented in like marketing and the the trailers and things um her name is evie fry sister of jacob fry and so they are both assassins um both butt kicking i played as her actually at pax prime she was the character that you played as during the demo oh that's awesome yes it was great i absolutely so brother and sister that's amazing so it's very like yes um, no romance uh, no it's very no it's very, and sister. No, it's very resident evil oh yeah. Right? All right, I just right. pre-ordered it. I just pre-ordered. Yes. It. Thank you, Simone. You You're, just cost you are me well. a lot I, of I money. I hope that I didn't yeah. sell you on a game that will be bad. Uh, actually, Anita Sarkeesian is reviewing it. I think her review comes out tomorrow. Huh. Um, as does everyone else's. Thanks, Ubisoft, for backing me up again. Even though I'm the only person who gave Assassin's Creed Unity a positive review. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> hey Ubisoft. Uh, like, uh, come on, come on, Quebec. Give Simone some love. Love me. Set, set her some sugar my way. For. Come on. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I'm doing that all weekend. Um, it came out at the same time that I'm getting tendinitis, but I don't care. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna power through, and that's my life. So I guess where, where Yay. should we find you online, <laughs> Brianna? You'll find me on podcasts again. Finally. You can download Whoa. them from Relay and listen to me because I've not been on them this month and also on Space Cat Gal. Mm-hmm. But you shouldn't talk to her. Ever. 
Ever. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you just said that. You just said right, because no, you no, want to no. get back to development. I do. Well, I want... Er, when you were in charge, this is the problem of being in charge. Everyone talks to you all the time. It's like, I have stuff to do too, but you have to like do development you have to like, make crap. make her it's terrible no, i'm we frustrated because today i did nothing but meetings and for Aww. an entire month i've been waiting to get back to the office and ship my game and it's like mm-hmm. this close to being done and i've got like 10 things to do and i just need people to leave me alone so. <laughs> I, I have to say i really enjoyed reading that a uh, twitter thread today of people asking you if you've heard of one password oh god oh yeah no which i thought I, I was like i was like for real for real? <laughs> yeah. No I shouldn't have brought no it up. Comment. I'm sorry. No comment. Ooh. Christina. Yeah. Where can we find you online? Well, first, I just want everyone to know that, yes, I've heard of 1Password. Um, no one has questioned me on that, but it's only been like my favorite app for years and years and years. But you can find me online at a film underscore girl, uh, and you can also listen to my new podcast, The Basic Bitch's Guide to Life. Yay! Uh, and, but yeah, I'm film underscore girl everywhere. Uh, and uh Yeah. That's a good good summary. Um, you can find me on Twitter at DoomQuasar. You can find my writing at Remeshed.com and at Pixelkin.org. Find my videos on YouTube. Talk through my face and you can see the face instead of just hearing the beautiful voice. Um, but the podcast has more, more of my laughter, so obviously you should stick with Rocket. Uh, and if you want to drop us a review on iTunes, we totally appreciate that. And thank you for listening. Did you just go into Bill Cosby mode? I I definitely didn't mean to because I didn't watch the Cosby show as a child. I want it to be publicly known that that if I just did an impression of Bill Cosby, it was not on purpose. You you did did a lot of jello pudding. It was so good. No, I didn't want it. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I can't do it again. I don't know what I did. Do you think I listened to myself talk? Zoom to my face. Do that thing again. Go to YouTube and look at my face. Oh, no. I'm going to call this terminated <laughs> it's my safe terminated. word <laughs> oh my god you're killing us terminated <laughs>